This is Piecing It All Together. I'm Bo Sanders. And I'm Randy Woodley. This is episode nine. We're talking about civility and resistance. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> Before we get to that, we got to uh, talk a little bit about some feedback that we've been getting on episode six about uh, not calling yourself a Christian anymore. I thought it was really interesting that... Uh, episode six was a feedback episode based on episode four, your conversation with Edith and Thomas J. Ord. So it was interesting that uh, we did episode six because of the feedback in episode four, and then we got even more feedback on episode six, so now we're going to talk about it a third time. So sounds like a hot topic. Yes. It's, um, apparently, it is something worth talking about right now. So I wanted to clarify my position because I think I probably didn't say it as clearly as I uh, had wanted to, so I just want to clarify why I don't call myself a Christian anymore. Are you about to be fired by your denomination? <laughs> no, no. Oh, no. Okay. No, no, we're good on that front. Um, so the reason that I no longer call myself a Christian, I just want to be clear about this, is because um, I cannot say that I follow Jesus as I understand Jesus. Jesus asks us to love our enemies, love our neighbors, and love ourselves. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't love my neighbors, admittedly, as much as I love myself, so that's strike one for me. But my second problem is that Jesus said to love those who hate you, your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you or do wrong to you. I haven't gotten to enemy love yet. And I think that so uh, neighbor love is the bare minimum. But I think enemy love is the standard by which Jesus calls us to. Yeah, And I, I've had a lot of practice at enemy love. This is the difference between you and me. Uh, you say that you follow Jesus, right? You're a Jesus follower. Right. Right. And I'm just admitting that I haven't gotten to enemy love yet, so I'm just trying to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a Christian yet. I want to be. I just haven't gotten there. I'm just trying to be honest with myself. So enemy love for me is the mark of a Christian. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I, I have said for many years and one of the things I uh, respect so much about Jesus is this differentiator that mm. uh, we are to love and pray for our enemies. And mm. uh, that's, you know, not a lot of people throughout history have said that. And No, uh, that's a unique, that's a novel position. And I, I think it's freeing. Um, mm. And uh, one of the reasons I love uh, about Jesus uh, is that, um, because this is the thing that can captivate us uh, to ourselves and, and allows the enemy to have control over us if we don't mm. uh, uh, let go. It doesn't mean to forget, but it means to let go, um, to love them as a human being, and to uh, pray for good things for them, mm. and allow yourself the freedom to, I guess, imagine or reimagine what it might be like if, uh, if they turn. Uh, I was able to do that recently in, in a, a book. Uh, called uh, Unsettling the Word that uh, uh, that we've uh, I wrote a little chapter two and we just had a book launch in Vancouver, Canada the other day. Um, Robert mm-hmm. Tubulls, myself, and a couple more folks, and and uh, that book is uh, put out by the Mennonites, but it's called Unsettling the Word: Experiments in Decolonialism, and it's a fascinating collection <coughs> of authors. Yeah. And-, and so I wrote about you know basically our own Nebuchadnezzar, who is Donald Trump. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I reimagine what in that story what happened to Nebuchadnezzar a conversion, and reimagine what happened to could happen to Donald Trump. Now, yeah, it sounds almost impossible, but you know, I think that's part of blessing your enemy is to reimagine them as a real human being. To bless them is to reimagine them, huh? And there's something humanizing about that instead of demonizing. That actually is a great transition for our topic today, which is this call for civility. So, Randy, I don't know if you, uh, in your online circles and in your uh, friendship networks, are hearing the same thing that I am, but both by my conservative, more conservative or fundamentalist, evangelical, white Christian friends, and now in my more liberal, maybe non-Christian uh, also white uh, circles, I am hearing calls for civility, that the political, the animosity, the volume, the temperature, it's just too much and we're, we're not doing ourselves any good. And so we got to, we got to take it down a notch. And so are you hearing these calls for civility? Um, not so much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because um, the uh, people of color uh, who I speak with, and uh, lots of the um, white folks who I speak with are sort of uh, sold on truth right now more than they are mm-hmm. um, uh, a, a, a compromise. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's some ways that we can talk about that. But but as a, to me, it seems like a position of privilege to say, oh, let's bring it down to the comfortable notch. Like, I don't like the angry Indian. I don't like the angry black person. I don't like the angry Asian American. I don't like the angry Latinx. It's like, um, you know, can you make me more comfortable? I like, I like a hot table. I like a table where we can sit down and be honest. I like a table where we can speak truth, but I like a table where no one gets up and leaves. Yeah. You know, and it's that, that, uh, uh, that privilege of being able to leave the table and not worry about the change yeah. that that I guess uh, many of us resent. Uh, uh, and so if we could get folks to, like, uh, you know, stay at the table, even though things get hot, even though feelings get hurt, even though truth is spoken, and, and sometimes we even go too far. But can then we can bring it back down and say, hey, maybe I went too far. Mm. You know, but... Um, let's just be human to each other, but stay at the table, stay at the table. So here's the thing. I, hmm, I'm going to, I'm going to try and take a more, uh, uh, tempered position. I know it's more nuanced, but here's my one wrinkle. I actually understand and am sympathetic to, um, you know, I read a book a long time ago, Deborah Tannen, the argument culture. This is back. 15 or more years ago before things were this bad as far as the media and social media goes, mm-hmm. right? This is pre-social media. When things are so inflamed, right, and the, and the adversarial uh, mentality is, is, was not even as bad as it is now. So I'm a little sympathetic to people saying, look, I know that there's issues that need to be addressed. I know that, you know, there's obviously things that we need to resist, and there's some stances we need to take, and we can even protest. But this level of animosity and aggression and vitriol has really crested into an unhelpful and unproductive place. So this is the mirror that I talked about maybe in Episode 7, where we get the government we deserve, 
this is the this is um, perhaps, and if you want to, um, if if you believe that the divine, if God is sort of the author of truth, perhaps the truth is being shown to us mm. through our government, um, and we're getting the government we deserve because all of that stuff. That was under the surface now is all out and it's flying everywhere. Uh, and so um, uh, I think to me the important question, civility of course is important. Let's talk about what that is. But the other important question is, you know, what are we going to do about this? Because if you've been in a position of privilege, um, you don't have to do anything about it. Mm. You know, things are still okay. But it's getting worse. It's worse for the... Uh, uh, for the uh, young black men who keep getting shot, mm. it's worth for the Puerto Ricans who have had to suffer through the political and systemic racism that's that's gone on down there. Uh, it's worse for the immigrant children, the brown immigrant children who are being separated from their families, locked up, and some of them may never even see their parents again um, because of these racist mm. policies that are happening. And so um, this is not an issue of, well, let's just compromise and talk to each mm-hmm. other this is an issue of uh, a whole sea change that's occurring in our country mm-hmm. that has to be resisted now it, it doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive yeah. I, I don't want to say they're mutually exclusive um, so let's talk about civility okay just so that i am clear on my position i do not agree that this is a time for civility i'll just state that up front i think that the call for civility is a luxury from people who, if the status quo were to remain the same, they would be fine. Okay? So that's my position. I actually am trying to listen to and be an ally for people whose very personhood is under threat uh, by what's going on in our culture right now. So for... Uh, people for whom immigration, right, is an, an issue that hits very close to home. For my LGBT friends uh, with same-sex marriage and what's happening in uh, the Supreme Court and, and the rulings that are coming down from there. For uh, my female friends for whom reproductive rights are under real threat. Uh, I am trying to listen to and learn from people whose very personhood is being questioned by what's happening in our culture and our politics right now. Mm -hmm. So while I understand what my friends who are calling for civility are saying, and I do, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what they're asking for. The simple fact is that's a luxury position that if everything remained the same as they are now, you would be fine. That's why you can be focused on policing people's tone or rhetoric, or vocabulary, uh, and um, and volume. Policing people's tone. That's yeah. a really uh, important <laughs> phrase. I, think it's, I, I get that everywhere I go. Um, I, people will say things like, um, I don't mind talking about this, but could you not use the word white supremacy? Oh, example? really? Yeah. Um, That's a trigger word. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's like, um, uh, huh. Well, no, I, I understand that that makes you uncomfortable, but right now, um, I think you need to understand what I'm saying white supremacy is. Mm. And so, uh, so I go on. Yeah. At some point we're going to have to talk about white supremacy because you, that's your preferred way of talking about this, mm-hmm. which 
for most people, they have bought into this idea of white privilege. And I, you know, I'm writing, by the way, you know, my dissertation is a critical race theory. And I have, uh, I had initially bought into this idea of, of white privilege, but I've actually started agreeing with some people who are saying, um, can we change the word privilege? Uh, I don't think that it accurately represents what we're going for because not being harassed and not being right injured and not being that's not a privilege that should be an average so it's not that that should be we want everyone to be not privileged we want everyone to be there that should be the average yeah and of course to me um uh the the you know we still have our neo-nazi groups and our ku klux klan and things around uh they're being emboldened in the yeah. last year or so but um but but white supremacy today is exhibited mostly through what i call white normalcy and that is just like it's normal, uh, normal white America is the standard for everything and everyone, mm-hmm. and so, um, and which means an assimilation. So for us Native American people, assimilation means death. So. Hmm. Thus, the thing I was talking about with personhood: when your very personhood is under threat, then maybe civility isn't your top priority. And I think that for me is when I, I, I hear what my friends are saying about how agitated and, and inflamed everything is right now. And I, I am sympathetic with that position. I just can't agree in the end. Yeah. So, and, and there's also this thing we've talked about the Western worldview. Um, and one of those things I talk about is the, the dualism. So the, the idea that, um, uh, what you think is more important than what you do, right? That mm-hmm. our, our mind or our spirituality or et cetera is separate from and apart from our bodies or the earth. And so there's, we treat them differently mm-hmm. when in fact they are whole one and the same. And so, um, so one of the calls for civility, I think is to discuss truth as a concept and where I'm looking at truth is truth is a practice. Truth is what you do. Hmm. Well, that's very non-Western of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) Um, You were recently, I don't know how recently, you had been invited to be a part of a a thing about civility. Yeah. uh, A couple of years ago, um, Richard Mao, who if you're an evangelical, that name's uh, uh, very familiar with you. Um, to you, uh, and the Murdoch Trust invited me to be one of the speakers uh, on a uh, two-day uh, leadership advance, they call uh, leadership advance, and it was called uh, Convicted Civility. Huh. And so I was to talk about uh, civility and then do a workshop on civility. So. No, don't take this the wrong way, but you're an interesting person to invite in to talk about civility. Yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I actually... Some people think you're a troublemaker. I, well, I think you can be both. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, civility doesn't necessarily mean to, to not be a truth teller. Right? Okay. So, um, yeah. So, my, my whole thing was about talking about this whole idea of the dualism and what truth really is. Um, truth is not just what we say, but if it isn't brought about by actions that are true then what we say, it doesn't matter what we say. It's not true. And so I had to talk about that. I had to talk about a, you know, uh, I talked about creator loving a pluralistic society. I wrote a book 
in 2001, and then it was again published in 2004, uh, called Living in Color, Embracing God's Passion for Ethnic Diversity. So uh, I wanted to talk about the mark of the creator and the DNA of all creation and of creator is diversity and pluralism and different ideas. And that when we listen to each other's ideas, um, then it affords dignity to one another. Hmm. And that to me is civility. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't um, discuss them in uh, heated fashions or anything else, but it's sort of like what's more, what's civil to me is not the tone. Yeah. What's civil to me is the commitment to sit down together and not leave the table. I really like that switch that you're doing. And I think that, you know, earlier I mentioned that um, when you imagine, when you're talking about enemy love, when you imagine your enemy. Uh, in a more human way, you imagine their story uh, to, for them to become a different kind of human. I like that because it's humanizing. And I have to say that while I'm not that interested in civility as an end goal, right? That can't be the destination. I, but the one part of it I do resonate with is I like the call to not demonize the other, Mm-hmm. So just because yes. people hold different views yeah. than you doesn't mean that they're not human. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. so if we humanize those we oppose instead of demonize, that would be something I could sign the dotted line on. Yeah, to dehumanize the other is to treat them the exactly same way yes. that, that we might be yeah. uh, treated. So so we don't want to, because once you start dehumanizing someone, you can do whatever you want to them. In every war, just before the war begins, the war on propaganda begins, yeah. and they begin de- dehumanizing, whether it's, you know, people in Vietnam, uh, or it was, um, you know, people in Iraq, uh, you know, wh- whoever it is, yeah. um, that's the, the main goal. The first, uh, you know, yeah. goal is to spread that propaganda. So um, I remember telling the story uh uh, a very simple parable that Jesus told um, at this uh, conference a couple of years ago. And I said, you know, there were two, uh, Jesus told the story that there were two sons and a farmer. And, uh, you know, being a farmer who has two sons, you know, it's a very real story to me. Interesting. And uh, uh, he tells the uh, 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 one son, he says to uh, go and work in the field. And the son says, the older son says, mm-hmm. sure, I'll do it, mm-hmm. you know. And then he doesn't go. And he tells the younger son, go work in the field. And the younger son's like, work in the field? I'm tired of working in the field. I don't want to be a farmer. I hope I don't ever see this farm again. I never want to see another uh, piece of dirt or, you know, vegetable or anything in my life, you know. And then he goes and he works in the field. And so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, who were the religious people, basically the evangelicals. And uh, he says uh, to them, um, you know, which one? was justified before God. And they said, the younger son. Well, they are the older son. Uh. And uh, and so it, it just basically means this. And, and I said to the group there, I don't know if I said this clearly, but I said, you know, basically what I understand right now is that um, uh, the, the white society, doesn't mean every white person by any means, but white society in general is the older son. They say they're going to do the right thing, but they don't do the right thing. Um, people who who aren't followers of Jesus, people who uh, may not even be religious, uh, people who just want to be good people, mm. a lot of them are doing the right thing, 
and, uh, and they would resist all this religious talk and everything else, um, but they do the right thing. Mm. And now the question then is, who is right before God? Wow. Man, parables still have that power to um, call into question the established order, the givenness of That's the what status Jesus quo. Jesus was all about. He Jeez. was knocking them down, man. And, uh, you know, his, his tone was not always civil. Mm. But the love that he showed, uh, even to the Pharisees, mm. was noticeable. And, you know, I won't go into it now because I know this, this is not a Bible broadcast. <laughs> but, um, but Jesus, in a number of occasions, actually shows his love for the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you told that parable. I haven't heard that parable in this context before. And it's just amazing to me that it still is like, uh, it, it's that story that gets underneath the radar and it interrogates the as-is nature of the status quo. I can't believe that parable still holds so much power. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, well, this is why I'm a follower of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, two things I wanted to tell you, uh, two conversions I've been through, that I thought you could comment on. Um, one is... Before I met you, I had never voted, which you thought was so weird uh, when I first told you that. But I had grown up in a type of evangelical home where we bought into this idea. I mean, we didn't talk about two kingdoms in that way. I mean, we did, but it wasn't called like the principle of two kingdoms. It's just we thought that there were two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, which is like where politics comes in. And then there was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that was like in the spiritual realm. And so I, in the 80s, was raised in a way where evangelicals were not political. And so I can actually remember in the late 80s and early 90s when voter guides were first introduced mm -hmm. at church. Right. Where it told you like the religious right and uh, Pat Robertson and... Uh, Jerry Falwell and right that whole crew. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, when those things first showed up, and me all the thinking, people who got Bush elected. <laughs> well, the moral majority, yeah, the religious right, yeah. But I remember thinking, oh, this is corrupting what we do here, right? Mm. That doesn't belong here oh. because I had been raised in a very strict separationist mentality where you didn't soil, soil yourself in the, the dirt of politics. That was for, you know, the kingdom of this world, and we were above that. We didn't muddy ourselves in the everyday, right, dirtiness of politics. So, But the uh, kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. <laughs> And yes. I don't think that's no. meant to be, uh, I you know, uh, yeah. it, it's heaven comes down yeah. and earth becomes different rather than the old, you know, we throw the earth away and we all go up to this floaty place called heaven, right? Yes, that is true. And that is problematic. And that's part of the dualism. It is. But here's why I bring this up. In my lifetime, I have watched not just the churches, the physical congregations, and denominations that I've been a part of become very political as evangelicals have entered into politics. This is, we talked about culture wars in episode eight, the previous episode. Mm -hmm. I have watched that change in my lifetime. 
that in the past 30 years, people who I knew who were not political, in 30 years, I have watched them become super political Fox News junkies. Oh. In the same, right? But I've also seen, on the other end, people who were not political at all become basically post-Christian progressive Democrats. And so this divide has gotten, in, in my lifetime, I keep saying this, I have watched this divide where the two streams have diverged and are going and getting, the gap is getting further and further apart. So and should so, they go back to being dualists? Let's, maybe they should go back to being uh, <laughs> That would be preferable, I guess. But I just wanted to name that, you know, we talked about culture wars in that previous episode. And this is the one thing after we were done recording that I was talking to you about as we were packing up. And I said, you know, next time I want to mention this. I think that if you didn't grow up that way, you may not know that this is even a thing. So... Uh, for some people, they're probably listening right now, thinking, "Is he joking?" No, it's a. I mean, it's a, a, a classic traditional Anabaptist position. Yeah, is to to say we don't get involved in those things of this world, right? Yeah, and the opposite of that would be to basically um, uh, militarize yes. your beliefs and make them happen, force them on people, yeah. or the moral majority. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's got to be a. Th- you know, Jesus' third way, Walter Wink talks about, uh, which I believe uh, is the wisdom, um, that there's always this sort of uh, uh, middle path that may not necessarily be a compromise of the two, but it's another way of doing things, right? Mm. And, and it, to me, it's about resistance. Yeah. It's you resist uh, the falsities and, uh, and expose the lies, yeah. and uh, you do it by not taking dignity away from the other people. Yeah. The second conversion, and the last thing I wanted to tell you is, when I was a student here in Portland 10 years ago, um, I was a pacifist. I truly believed that nonviolence was the way of Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was a, a deep conviction of mine. So then I go away and I do a PhD in uh, critical theory and you know some other things, and I studied post-colonial you know, uh, thought. Mm -hmm. And I actually came to the conviction that privileged white guys like me should not tell marginalized and oppressed communities, specifically if they're people of color, that Jesus wants them to not be violent, that that was a position I was no longer willing to hold. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I'm not a pacifist anymore. I just think that white guys shouldn't be violent. That's my new position. Are you, uh, let me ask a question. Are you packing right now? No, no. No, I don't think the white guy should be violent. I just want to know how hot this conversation can get. But here's the funny thing. So I come back here uh, to be a professor. I got a one-year appointment as a visiting professor. The year you were on sabbatical. Um, and And I had a wake up call because when I came back, uh, several people who had known me from my time here as a student kept re- referencing me being a pacifist. Hmm. And at first I thought, I'm going to let that go because, you know, I don't want to make a stink. But it came up like a third time in my first week. And so I felt like, oh, I better nip this thing in the bud. So I just had to alert everybody that I was no longer a pacifist. Hmm. And that caused a little bit of concern that um, that I wasn't a pacifist. But here's the thing, like, when you have protest or resistance movements, sometimes 
the violence that is done to that community initially can only be expressed, right, not with words, but sometimes it, it, it flows out. Resistance actually manifests in a demonstration, right, for people's very, to, to preserve their very existence. Mm-hmm. As yeah. an educated white guy, I do not feel like I can impose on those communities my expectation of nonviolence. That's not my place to do it. If somebody within that movement wants to hold that position and lead that, then right. But I'm not going to impose that from my theological perch in, in, in the, yeah. So I, I think, um, our, our native American traditions, as I understand them historically, um, have always been that making peace is better than making war. Hmm. Um, and that uh, violence is uh, always an alternative, but hmm. not the preferred alternative. So it just made sense um, when you look at um, all the different kinds of peoples and different tribes and different regions. And and uh, the fact that, you know, people like to have good stuff, so they like to trade, you know. Yeah. And they would get goods and other things that other people made and food that other people, you know, get tired of eating the same stuff. And, and so uh, when there, no one was at war, uh, you had all that, you know, at your fingertips. And, uh, and so uh, we had multiple, multiple peacemaking strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even proposed, and I think I've written a chapter or two about this, maybe done a, a Huffington Post uh um, blog and about um, a Pentagon for peace um, that we should be putting as much uh, strategy into a Pentagon for peace as we do war and mm. uh, or more actually and uh, wouldn't wouldn't that be wonderful? But um, I, I used to have a, a, a Quaker friend, um, Stan Thornburg was a, a great man, loved him dearly. We'd go out for coffee once a month. He was a, a 14th generation Quaker and uh, Stan. Uh, you know, asked me one time about my position, and and I said I'm I'm not a pacifist. I said, but I'm a peacemaker. And he said, well, um, why aren't you a pacifist? And, and and how would you justify that if you had to kill someone? And I said, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't justify that. I mean, uh, and, and I said maybe that's the difference between uh, sort of uh, Western thought and non-Western is Western folks need to find a logical reason mm. why they did everything and justify it, right? Mm. Um, but if I did do something wrong, it's just wrong. <laughs> and I just say it was wrong. You know? Wow. So we have very violent language in our culture. So I, I've become very aware in this call for some... Well, even the English language is set up to be very binary. Yeah. Right? So we're like, you know, uh, heaven and hell and uh, life and death and uh, God and the devil and, you know, varmint and animal and plant and weed. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's all set up to be this, this, yeah. uh, binary stuff. So no wonder, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, other languages are much more nuanced. Huh? I have really noticed that in this call for civility, that there's violence built into the language. For instance, I'll just give you two things. People say, yeah, but when push comes to shove, <laughs> right? That's a weird yeah. uh, thing that people say. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I think is most interesting, and I hear it a lot when you're talking about um, political comedy. I hear this like Michelle Williams when she just did the the correspondence dinner and stuff. Mm-hmm. I always hear about the difference between, um, you, like when it comes to push comes to shove, if you're going to punch, punch up to people who have more power and more resources, 
But what our problem is, is that people are punching down. Mm. They're using, and this is my kind of core thing. They're using their power and violence. Sometimes it's outsourced violence, like Mm. to the police or the military, but outsourcing their violence, but to people with less power and less resources. And that for me is why it, civility needs to be called into question is because, okay, hold on. We might get to civility, but before that we have to ask the question, are we using our power and resources for, to benefit those who have less than we do or who are marginalized or oppressed? Or are we using them to reinforce those who already have power and resources? Absolutely. It's a critical question because I see, the 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 second thing you said uh, being done so often, so much so, yeah. so so what are we saying in all this we're saying yeah. uh, I'm saying um, we uh, we need civility is when you come and sit down at the table with me and refuse to get up and leave because you're pissed off right um, civility is that we can be honest with one another and say what we need to with one another and maybe uh, talk later and apologize but at least be able to get out uh, the things that need to be get out, the injustice, the truth, the, yes. the things that need to be said. That's what civility is to me. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is humanize, don't demonize. So that would be our second thing. Right. And, and what that means is, you know, you may have raised voices. You may have raised temper. You may, there may be finger pointing and accusations. That's, that's not being uncivil. Right, because we live in a time of crisis. Emergency politics is one of the the topics that gets talked about, and we live in an extraordinary time where the the stakes are quite high. So yeah, voices might get raised and tempers might flare up. But if a you stay at the table and b you humanize, don't demonize. And then I'm going to try and add a third thing, which is use your power and your resources for those who have less than you do who are marginalized and endangered by the policies that are being put into place, not to reinforce the status quo. Sounds great. Okay. And the third point would be, um, we don't want to make three points because that's what people do in sermons. (laughs) I do it because I'm a Trinitarian. I just think in threes. (laughs) Hey, listener, if you are enjoying these conversations, would you please support us? We're going to ask you for two things. If you would consider being a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com slash piecing it all together. That's P-E-A-C-I-N-G, piecing it all together, and uh, support us at $1 a month, 5 or $10 a month. If you're really into it, at $20 a month, you'll be invited. Next month, we're going to have an online conversation. You'll be there. Your voice will be part of the conversation. And uh, we want to expand the number of voices that are in this conversation. And that's one of the ways we're going to do it. We could really use your support. Uh, We had an initial put of money to buy the website and the domain name and the, the technology and everything. And we need to recoup some of those initial costs. So we really could use your support. So if you would support us, even if it's just for these first couple months to help us make that initial money bag, uh, we could really, we would really uh, appreciate that. So if you're enjoying these podcasts, please support us on Patreon. Yeah, we need your support. Secondly, If you are listening on iTunes, if you would give us a review, it would help us a lot Uh, right now. And we're enjoying uh, all of the feedback that we're getting, but it's all from our friends. The only way we're going to be able to reach people who are currently not in our circles is if you um, share this on Facebook and Twitter 
or if you give us an iTunes review, it will help us um, expand our bandwidth and reach people that we're currently, we don't know yet. So basically that means when you see our stuff come up, yeah. go to Public Share on Facebook yeah. and retweet on Twitter. Please, please. We could really use the help. We are enjoying these conversations. Uh, and we are really enjoying the feedback that we're getting, and it's been great so far. We just want to expand the conversation and reach some folks that we haven't reached yet, and we need your help doing that. Thank you for tuning in. We will look forward to seeing you on the next episode. It's episode 10, and we're going to talk about race and place. We'll see you later. Later.